Hello and welcome to the podcast Shedding Candlelight on Cryptids, Hauntings, Mythology, and more. This is your host, Lee Donna, and I have another delightful vampire tale for you today. I know you love this as much as I do because for thousands and thousands of years, probably since the dawn of time, stories of vampires have been told. We find these legendary creatures represented in some form or fashion in every culture around the world past, present, and most certainly the future, because the immortal monster known as the vampire is a legend we will not let die. In some past episodes, we talked about the Irish blood-sucking Derek Dua and the Greek Rikulakis. In my episode on Gilgamesh, I mentioned the ancient Mesopotamian vampiress, the Kisilake or Kisikulaka, it's okay that I cannot pronounce her name because this fiend is later simply called Lilith. Now, today, Lilith is mostly known as the mother of all demons, but I want to back us up a little bit because I think it's important to note a few things. First of all, the term vampire is a modern term, so we are not going through historical sites finding signs that say, hey, a vampire is buried here. Don't take that stake out of their heart or they'll come for your jugular. Instead, we have archaeological evidence showing us that ancient people had very real fears when it came to the dead rising again. Usually, these fears were accompanied by tales of demons. These demons had many names and whether they were thought to be separate entities who entered and reanimated a corpse or somehow the spirit of the deceased was corrupted and turned into the demon, it really hasn't ever been a matter of if people can rise from the dead. It's a question of what are we going to call them when they do? The answer to that question changes from generation to generation and location to location, and usually the names become easier to pronounce as we get closer to our more modern times, such as Lilith or Edward. But no matter the name, tells of the undead consuming the blood of the living permeate our world. These undead bloodsuckers are lumped into categories of demons, with the earliest of these demonic entities having been seen as needing to consume the blood of the living in order for they themselves to have life, because blood has always been understood to have power. Ancient people in particular placed a high value on blood. They had a fascination with it, it's kind of like Dexter. But one big distinction in what we today consider a demon versus what our ancestors believed is that the ancient texts do not paint demons as soul collectors. They aren't nefarious beings out to drag your soul into the netherworld. They are simply creatures looking for food, sustenance, a way to fill their empty veins with your life and your power. So it's understandable that living people would fear the resurrected. One of, if not the oldest example of ancient people living in fear of those who would need to drain their blood to survive is a site in Jordan that dates back 9,000 years. In this prehistoric village, people were dismembered after death. 
Archaeologists believe that this post-mortem mutilation was done to prevent the dead from being able to rise again. We spoke about this mutilation and weighing down of the bodies in the Varicolacus episode, so I'm not going to rehash that. All I'm going to say is that if my husband goes before I do, I will be lighting candles and leaving the door unlocked for him. I'm a good wife like that, the same as Lilith, but long before Lilith was unfortunately dubbed as the first wife of Adam, she was known simply as the Dark Maiden. She belongs to a demon group that dates back to the Sumerian culture in Mesopotamia when people were settling the land between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. If you listen to the Gilgamesh episode, you'll recognize this area as being in the location of modern-day Iraq or Iraq, but the Lilitu, this group of demons, predates the ED period we talked about in that Gilgamesh episode. The Sumerian culture spans all the way back to at least 7,000 BC. Recent discoveries in that area might end up predating this time, and even more interesting is the way scholars are looking at what might have been once thought to be decorations on pottery or remnants of structures, and they're now speculating that this is actually a written language instead of only decoration. So again, archaeology rocks because the earlier we find the written word emerging, the more we know about our past. In these ancient locations, there is evidence of trade coming in the form of items being found that would have had to have came from someplace far away. So it only makes logical sense to me that the written word would have existed back then. I don't even subscribe to the idea that it would have been some rudimentary, ineffective language. I can see where maybe only people of a certain social class would have been able to read and write, but oral traditions still exist today, yet in some of, say, the Native American cultures where certain things are considered almost living and therefore can't be written down, there are some things that are still recorded. So I think it's a little narrow-minded of us to think people weren't smart enough to figure out that writing some things down was a good idea, especially when we keep finding evidence that our ancestors were more advanced than originally thought possible. Only time will tell, but we do have evidence of these demonic vampires that predates the written record. From what we currently know, Lilith seems to have been around for as long as humans have existed. This maiden of the night is one of, if not the oldest surviving mythological creature. And while she's undergone quite a transformation, the original demonic night goddess is the one we are going to focus on today. As I said, Lilith was not originally a singular person. She was in a class of demons later called the Lilitu. This name is derived from the Sumerian word Lil, meaning wind or spirit. So therefore, she is a wind or a storm demon, if you will. These winged demons with human-like upper bodies and faces had legs that were like those of a wolf or of a lion, and they had taloned feet like those of a bird. 
Lilith is said to have had a horrific screech, and she's notably associated with an owl, which is fitting since owls are creatures of the night who must hunt to survive. Early chants or prayers to ward against Lilith say that she can fly, and at some points she was considered an airborne spirit who carried diseases. In the history of vampire lore, we see that a lot. Plagues break out, and the next thing you know, mobs of people are hunting vampires. But to find Lilith, one would have to venture into remote places because she lives in the deserts and wastelands of Sumer, making her home in ruins or deserted places. During the day, Lilith lurks in these desolate places, waiting to destroy all those unfortunate souls who stumble upon her. At night, Lilith goes on the prowl, roaming around in search of victims to drain of blood. She preys on those who are lost or alone in the dark, and for that reason, it is said that you should never sleep alone in an empty house, because if you do... The rage-filled Lilith will come for you. But why is Lilith so angry? The earliest known record of the Lilitu is found in the Sumerian epic poem of Gilgamesh, which is the one I touched on in that Gilgamesh episode. In this poem, she is called by the Sumerian name Kisikilila, or however you say that, this is the Dark Maiden, but the translation of the poem I used for my episode called her a Happy Maiden. Now, the goddess Inanna, who found herself vexed by Lilith in the poem, was known as a happy goddess, and her joy was stripped away because of her tree being infested with creatures. So maybe there was something amiss in the translation or maybe Lilith was happy because she was finally out of the deserted ruins and living inside of a tree in the luxurious garden of a goddess. Either way, it's fine because one can be both happy and dark. Just look at me. However, I do not have cause to be filled with the kind of rage that Lilith is filled with because her anger issues stem not only from being hungry and forced to use humans as bloody juice boxes, but Lilith is barren. She could never have children, and this made her really bitter and spiteful. Instead of being able to conceive a child and in turn produce milk to feed her offspring, her breasts were engorged with poison, not milk. So in ancient Samaria, Lilitu was considered to be especially dangerous to pregnant women and infants. They were not only the most vulnerable and easy prey, but it's said that a Lilitu was born when a human girl died too young to have procreated, and this made her envious of those women getting to live out a full life. Therefore, she was feared throughout the region over thousands of years her legend never dying out as others did, because if a child was lost, miscarried, or met with any other bad end, it was blamed on Lilith. However, Lilith did go through some not-so-subtle changes as time went on. For starters, she was said to be the handmaid of the goddess Inanna, 
And Nana is a goddess akin to Aphrodite. So sex is in her repertoire. And Lilith is therefore painted as a sex worker who tempted men away from their wives, which is impossible, by the way. Men make choices to stray and they can write as many excuses as they want into as many ancient texts as they'd like. They can even invent the succubus and all that jazz, but it's still not the woman's fault. I'm going to leave that right there and move through the rest of this pretty quickly because when I look at this transformation, how a perfectly good vampire was twisted into this seething seductress, it angers me. Men did this, ladies. Do not buy into it. Lilith is a ticked off vampire demon and all she wants is their blood, not their sperm. So why then is she now mostly known as the mother of all demons instead of the delightful winged dark maiden? The big turning point in Lilith lore was the discovery of the anonymously written alphabet of Bensira. All we really know is that it was written by a man. Now, that is not a fact, but considering the contents, I feel pretty confident in pretending that it is. This book dates to the early part of our common era side of the timeline or the AD period. So thousands upon thousands of years after the original demonic vampire tales were told, this book is written and it's as of now, the first time we see Lilith called the wife of Adam. Scholars suggest this work was written to clear up some inconsistencies in the Bible's creation story. In Genesis 1, it says that God created man and woman. Then in Genesis 2, it says he created Adam, but then he took one of Adam's ribs and made Eve. Now, there are stories about people being created from ribs that predate all of the biblical writings. Personally, I don't see the differences in the text as being inconsistencies as much as maybe one version just had more detail than the other, but none of us were alive back then. Unless Lilith and the rest of her vampire horde are listening right now, in which case I would like to say I am on your side vampire love all day. But seriously, though, no one even knows if this book was intended to be a historical record of any kind. It could just be fiction. And as far as Lilith is concerned, I think it has to be. One glaringly obvious reason is that she cannot have kids. That's the whole reason she's ticked off. So to then thousands of years later say that she not only can have children, but loads of them, we're talking hundreds of thousands, it just doesn't track. It's a man-made manipulation. Emphasis on man. <laughs> this alphabet book says that Lilith was created with Adam, not from him, but from the earth, just as Adam was. And they are living great in the Garden of Eden until one day Lilith wants to be on top. Adam, being unlike every other man in the world, did not want his woman on top. So Lilith, like Every woman in the world said, if you're going to be boring, I'm out. She leaves the Garden of Eden 
I think the text is interpreted as she flew away. So I guess she got to keep her wings in this rebranding situation. But anyway, Adam is angry. He wanted to be right, not alone. So he cries to God. God then sends three angels after Lilith, telling Adam that if Lilith comes back to the garden, everything will be fine. If she does not return, then 100 of her children will die every day. Sit with that one a minute, ladies. Well, the angels find Lilith in the sea and she tells them to leave her alone, that she's not going back to boring old Adam. They tell her what's at stake, that her children are going to be slaughtered because that's whatever. I don't curse. So you guys fill in the blanks for me. But Lilith is determined to have her own mind. So she accepts God's terms, telling the angels that she was created to cause sickness in infants anyway. She then strikes a deal with the angels, telling them that if she sees them or their names near an infant, that she will leave that child alone. The writer of the alphabet book says this is why there are amulets and things with the name of these three angels inscribed on them. It was the people trying to keep their children safe from Lilith. In a way, I feel like this is a return to her original lore and the way she would prey on pregnant women and infants because they were the most vulnerable. But on the other hand, this just feels like a man covering his bases because First, she was threatened with the loss of her kids, and then she's getting blamed for being the one actually making them be lost. Sorry to all the non-misogynistic males out there, but something stinks in the rebranding. Leave the demonic vampire alone, okay? All right, so back to this alphabet book. As for Adam, in this new version of events, God decided to take a rib and make Eve from that because the issue they decided with Lilith was that she was equally made and therefore would not submit to her husband. Well, I guess the joke was on them because not only did Adam lose his delightful dark maiden, but Eve got him kicked out of the garden. And now God has to deal with a whole world full of sin. And ladies, if you are part of the tradition of being told that you cannot cut your hair because it's sinful, that ideology dates back to the lore of Lilith because women as punishment for the sins of Eve are admonished to grow their hair long like that of Lilith. So we see this evolution of Lilith where by the time she reaches Jewish traditions, she's no longer a barren vampire, but Adam's first wife. This is something that's reiterated in the Talmud, a work that was written after the Hebrew Bible. But Lilith does make an appearance in the Bible, just not as Adam's wife. In Isaiah 34, 14, when God is seeking vengeance against the pagan kingdom of Edom, a form of Lilith's name is mentioned. Depending on which version you read, the translation will be either screech owl, a night creature, or a night animal, 
or Lamia, which is another vampire-like demon that probably came from the original brand of Lilith demons. But it's the Talmud, which was written centuries after the biblical books, that really paints Lilith as what I usually hear people refer to her as today. And we even have Jewish amulets from the Middle Ages that explicitly mention the first Eve. It's in these later works where Lilith becomes the partner of Satan, the great demon, and she's dubbed as a temptress who goes throughout the earth seducing men in their sleep so they can have plausible deniability and she can collect their seed in order to give birth to all of her demon babies. In case a man woke up, though, not to worry, Lilith had the power to transform herself into the likeness of the man's wife. So when he willingly partnered with this woman who was not the female he pledged faithfulness to, he could still do so without it being his fault. Are we seeing a theme here, women? Good. Just making sure you're with me, ladies, because the legend of Lilith only devolves from here. I'm not getting into it. You can find a bunch of other shows where people will just tell you the lore without saying snarky things like, rest assured that if Lilith forced herself on Adam to spawn a horde of demons, brought a friend along to help seduce him, or attached herself to a son Cain to have demon babies with him too, the men are always innocent and it's the woman who is at fault. So yeah, if you want the non-cynical version, you can easily find that. I'm going to stick with the pre-nonsense version and call Lilith what she is, a vampire demoness who rules the night. I don't need all the other fluff to make me like her or to see her as a sign for female independence. Gilgamesh did not take her out, and as far as I know, he didn't even try, and he was a Thor kind of guy, you know, the kill first and don't bother to ask questions later, so I think that alone speaks volumes about the power of our Dark Maiden. Gilgamesh might have thrown his weight around, but he did not directly engage Lilith as he did other creatures. Maybe he knew that in this modern era, when he would be held as a hero, it would look bad for him to have taken out a vampiress whose name would be the 316th most common baby name in the United States in the year 2020 which is quite a change from Lilith's name being placed on incantation bowls that were meant to run off the demon or to capture it. These bowls had spiraling text that was usually a quote or a prayer or a spell, some sources call it. This text would start at the outer edge of the bowl and go round and round, spiraling inward to the center, where there was often a picture either naming or depicting the demon being warded against. These bowls were buried in the foundations of homes or in the doorway, and many of them have been unearthed, so we have lots of pictures of them. There is also a limestone plaque that dates back to the 7th or 8th century BCE. It was discovered in Syria and reeds. 
Oh, you who fly in the darkened rooms, be off with you this instant. This instant, Lilith, thief, breaker of bones. This tablet is thought to have hung in the house of a pregnant woman serving as an amulet against Lilith. And many, many of these amulets have been found with an indication that they were also meant to ward against the Dark Maiden. Over 3,000 years ago, the myth of Lilith and Demi, later known as Lamashtu, merged. These two became a bit synonymous in the lexicon, with the Lilitu being called the Lamashtu of the night. I'm pretty sure I'm not saying that L word correctly, but text in Aramaic, Ethiopian, and Greek all speak of baby snatching demons against which incantations and amulets were useful. Athena herself might have borrowed some of Lilith's attributes. So in the question of what came first, the vampire or the mother of all demons, there is a solid answer the vampire, she who will be feared, she who can do and be all things, except for an excuse. Lilith didn't make you do it any more than the devil did. But there is a male version of the Lilith. He seduces women and that winged beast, I'm pretty sure he can make you do anything, ladies. So beware of sleeping alone. And if you venture out into the desolate places, take a few breath mints with you. Before you pick out your wilderness outfit, though, take a minute to hit the like button, subscribe, share, be social for me, and then drop me a line to let me know how that vampire kiss was. Keep it PG, though, and send your terrifying tale to leadonabooks at gmail.com. My website is leadonabooks.com, and on October 31st, I have my first foray into fantasy writing releasing. You can pre-order Day of the Raven now. It's part of my Eyes of Midgard trilogy. I was going to do a show on Odin, but I think I've changed my mind. I have a few more vampires on my list, and then I kind of want to get into some lesser known cryptid stuff, some ghost hauntings, and truly creepy things. I'm also doing an episode on the eBay craziness because that story is completely insane. I just can't fathom what a person's thought process is that leads them to such horrible behavior. You guys have no idea either because my listeners are angels, winged, vampiric, heart of pure gold angels who understand that a little bit of accountability goes a long way. I appreciate you for that. And I will see you next month. Until then, happy Halloween. Monsters.